You're listening to Girl Talk, a podcast for girls, hosted by Girl Scouts River Valleys. Girls are go-getters, innovators, risk-takers, and leaders. As the premier leadership organization for girls, Girl Scouts sets the standard. Girl Scouts is the girl expert, and in a world full of challenges, we're in Girl's Corner. Hi, Girl Talk listeners. This is a special episode outside of our usual release cadence and different from our usual format. We wanted to hold some space for a conversation about what's going on in our community here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. We checked in with our friend and former co-host Shayna to talk through what we've been experiencing, feeling, and doing after George Floyd was murdered by Minneapolis police on May 25th, just a few weeks ago. We got into some tough things, like feelings of grief, fear, and anxiety, feeling like we're not doing enough, how we find credible news and deal with social media, and the scary idea of society getting used to seeing violence and how it felt when it was happening around us. If you're looking for ways to help and things to do, you can find anti-racism resources and ways to take action on the Girl Scouts River Valley's Takes Action webpage. There's a link in the show notes. Take care of yourselves and your friends, families, and neighbors. All right, let's get into it. 2020! 2020 is... uh... Holy moly! Uh, It's been a lot. It's it's been been a ton. We're, We're in it. It's 2020, and... Who else is ready for 2020 to be over? Oh, <laughs> I've sort of mentally checked out of it already. I'm like, oh, oh, things aren't things aren't going to be what I expect or like yeah. anywhere near normal until well past 2020. So I'm just like, yeah, yeah. 2020. I'm I'm calling that a at least in terms of coronavirus stuff. I'm just calling that a mulligan. Yeah, we do. <laughs> nice. We do. Yeah, yeah. I've, I see some people are saying like on Facebook and social media like. Your birthday does not count this year. You turn like your age next year. And I'm about oh, it. Like I'm not fighting cool. anybody on that on that notion. No, that is not a bad that is not a bad idea. So Shayna, it's good to see you. It is so awesome to see you guys. I'm so happy to be back and I adore our listeners. And I this was something really special and I'm just so grateful to be able to come back and and check in and, and uh, be a part of this again. So thank you guys. Just for like some context for our listeners, we haven't recorded. I mean, Shane has been gone for a little while, but Hannah and I haven't recorded together in months now because we've been home for <laughs> months, like over a hundred days. And I don't know. We're okay. So I'm in my basement where we usually record, but I I know that Hannah and Shana are in their closets because that's <laughs> Yeah. secretly the perfect place to podcast for people who record from home by themselves. So I can see them on video right now. They're both in their closets and it sort of feels just totally normal though, because everything's so weird and we're just so used to seeing each other online. Like it's like totally not weird that you're both sitting in your closets. I just feel like, Oh, there's my buds (laughs) and we're all together here. So we're going to talk about tough stuff today. This is going to be a little bit of a, a special episode. So so we're here to talk w- about what's been happening in the Twin Cities and now the world in the wake of George Floyd's murder on May 25th at the hands of Minneapolis police. And we asked our friend and former co-host Shayna to join us for this episode, partly because we miss her, but also because she grew up in South Minneapolis, which is the community that's most directly affected by George Floyd's death and the protesting, rioting, and destruction that has followed. 
And I think we should start by acknowledging that this is a really sensitive, raw time and a sensitive conversation to have, and that we want to hold this space as a chance to reflect and support each other. And we're hoping that it might serve as an example for our listeners of how to have these kinds of conversations. Let's get into it. How have we been feeling? How are you guys feeling? I, I, I keep updated on everything that's taking place from the news sources that I trust, from friends, family. But it's also very, it just is sustained, continuous challenge behind it. Even though I'm so grateful there's been gains, folks are really coming together, finding ways to have community and, and express a, a, a great need for substantive reform and change. I feel so empowered and I, and I hold high love for the folks who are really trying to make it make some changes, but it's uh it's 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 still very hard to consume updates and, you know, to recognize what's taking place. So like I find myself uh, taking very extensive breaks off of Facebook cuz so sometimes on Facebook like even if people are posting you know, love or beautiful artwork of George Floyd or examples of, you know, having community and having uh, lovely times for a memorial and spending time with each other and mourning and, and having beautiful community. Those things are really powerful and they give me so much um, inspiration, but I still find it hard. So I just like kind of avoid social media lately. You know, George Floyd, you know, the what occurred is is a tragedy. And and it's just, um, it's an additional example of, of what's been occurring over time that people have been trying to um, highlight and, and make notice of. So like, it, it's just being aware of the trail behind George and, and, and the tragedy of George. That was just another example of systemic challenges we've been facing. So I just, it's, oh, sorry, that was a very long answer, but that I just been kind of That's avoiding okay. Facebook and uh, social media. Too, yeah. Because it's still, it's still, um, still a challenge. What about like grief? I mean, I know, so we're a few weeks out from when this happens. So things are, you know, things, things feel calmer just in terms of like our city burning down and like all of, all of the like really raw, like immediate reactions. But like, what were those feelings for both of you and myself? Like, let's talk about what our feelings were when we were sort of like in the thick of it, like just hearing about things and like trying to connect with people. And what were those feelings? I won't say that it's the same impact for me that it is for someone who like is connected to George Floyd in some kind of way or is part of the black community. But I do know that like over time, becoming more invested in and connected to Black Lives Matter as someone, as a white person who cares about people's well-being <laughs> and doesn't want them to be killed um, for doing nothing, essentially. It's the immediate reaction. I don't know. I, I was talking to someone about how as you build empathy for those situations, like as a white person, you get so used to seeing, I think, I think everybody does get used to seeing violence against Black people, which is horrible. And But as you kind of break that down and build more empathy for those situations, seeing stuff like this becomes harder and harder. And so for me, it was really in, intense as the immediate like situation was unfolding. But because we work at Girl Scouts, I think the biggest thing for me, honestly, was the the young woman who filmed it. Yeah, just mm -hmm. just how... She, I think she said something to the effect of like, it had, to, someone had to do it. 
the fact that it was her is just heartbreaking, you know, because, you know, the she's the age of the girls we serve in Girl Scouts. And she's the kind of, you know, she's the kind of girl that we would want to be supported by us and like be a part mm-hmm. of our community. So I think that was like the the one that that was the part that hit me like the hardest right away. Yeah. And it, yeah, it felt really intense. And her doing that was so important, especially because, you know, sometimes how many times have people, you know, of color, black men, black people um, been targeted, been harmed by the police and it wasn't documented and and it wasn't recorded. And unfortunately different stories take place or justice is not um, sufficient because of lack of evidence or or lack of um, information. And so her doing that is like, like you mentioned, Hannah, that even when it's tough, that is what resiliency grit that's what it looks like. And and that's what she did. And she's facing a lot of trauma and sadness afterwards. Yeah. And that like it's just really hard to continue to see this persistent intensity that is upon her. And and you know, and all of us, you know, especially at the Girl Talk team, like send her love. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think like and then when you layer in the the whole destruction aspect or whatever. I know that there's some evidence potentially that in the Twin Cities, after a little bit, it got sort of co-opted by people that, and people were coming in and kind of taking over that situation. But yeah, I feel like the situation that ended up unfolding is a valid and mm-hmm. effective form of demanding what you need. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I mean, as you highlighted, Hannah, and I really want to hear Idell's take as well. Part, I just, uh, it's, it's manifestation of as I as I talked about earlier. It's it's accumulating. It's it's rep- recognizing. For example, with Colin Kaepernick, like that was him trying to bring attention in a way that he felt was very respectful. But again, dismissing and always finding ways to have caveats for why that's not okay. Like that's again like kind of like dominant culture always having stipulations on communities who are suffering. And and for example, always I've I've said on the show. I love politics. I love America. I want America to love me back. Um, and it's hard because I don't, as a person of color, as a margin, a person belonging to marginalized identities, feeling um, shut out of of different aspects or the full experience of being an American. And I adore America. I stand behind it vigorously with everything I have. But it's but I'm also very very candid and very honest because to perfect our union to disclose and to talk about and, and to work towards reform where we have our areas of challenge, because that's what we do. We're a new country even still, like in, in terms of historical, like time span, like we, you know, we still have so much to do and we're this beautiful democratic ex- experiment. And so, I mean, especially with the, as you highlighted, Hannah, um, with the damage to property, that is manifestation of over 400 years of, 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 of challenge and, 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 and institutional oppression. And also, on top of COVID, COVID yeah. really illuminating economic disparities and so many challenges that not just people of color face, not just Black people, not just me, but folks in who are working class, working poor, that also destructing property is another, It's. It, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I, I think some things I see is is also feeling that frustration and of, of being shut out of, of economic well-being. You yeah. know, and, and so that's another it's it's just another symbol of the deprivation and oppression that takes place in these communities. And I think that it was felt by black people, by black men, but also by people who are struggling, who have been struggling prior to COVID, who mm-hmm. has been exasperated struggle 
financial struggle in COVID. So I just think that it was really symbolic and really telling of so many different facets of what's going on socially. Yeah. Yeah. It really all just came to a head and exploded, right? Yeah. I feel like we should also kind of recognize, like, even though the the destruction, like, was necessary, seemingly, in the moment, like, it, it has affected a lot of communities in negative ways by, like, the destruction of basically every grocery store in some of these communities that that are already facing food insecurity. Yeah. And basically turning them into a food desert where there are a lot of working class and working poor families and immigrant families who are already like have challenges with transportation. They can't just go to the target in a suburb like some of us can using our car. And so I have three different targets by me right now that I can go to. They're all like 10 minutes away in different suburbs. Right. Yeah. And there there are a lot of people who can't do that. And with COVID, like it's really hard and kind of scary to take the bus places, especially for long distances. Um, There's a lot of, you know, just getting on the bus is very strange right now. It's all roped off. You have to wear a mask. Like it's all just sort of like compounded to make everything really hard. So I just want to, kind of recognize that part of it too but that our communities have responded in like really positive ways and i hope that continues because it's it's going to be necessary for it to continue people giving donations and i mean there were donation facilities that were just overwhelmed with food and care products and baby oh yeah oh yeah and like but that's gonna have to keep going you know and those volunteers like it takes a lot of people just like take in all those donations and get them to the families that need them so I think it was very powerfully moving to me how quickly all of that happened. And I think that's part of our Minnesota, like Twin Cities culture of nonprofits and of supporting each other. And without that, I don't know what would have happened, you know, to all these families. So I just have been feeling very moved by that in, in like the wake of this. That's such an awesome point that you highlight, Adele. So many communities, you know, who, uh, are so innovative and so collaborative and, and, and they already have kind of like a model or understanding of supporting each other because you're all you got in some ways. And, and, and like you mentioned, Adele, it's not like other, it's not like there was formal and this isn't putting our institutions down here in Minnesota, but there was, it's literally been grassroots folks organizing community members, uh, volunteering. It's not as though it's been facilitated or managed by like, you know, formal, avenues it's solely been it's not like government led or anything you know it's been churches it's been a cousin who hit up another cousin you know what i'm saying And so Mm -hmm. like like you said and i think that a lot of communities like we've seen this you know we've seen this formally in you know the 70s with the black panthers like in the um breakfast programs and and, in education programs like we've seen different renditions of when communities come together and they're like listen man i got you you got me Oh, you got you got a wheelbarrow. Well, I need one. I got this. Let's work together. You know, so it's so I mean, there's so many times where communities work together. And this is another demonstration of that. Talking about kind of like action stuff that's been happening. I mean, that's one action that communities have been taking. But let's talk about what actions we've been taking. This is a tough one, man, because because of mostly I think for me, because of the covid situation, I am a partial caretaker for a person who is at risk. So it's, there's not, 
I can't just go to the marches and the protests without feeling very worried (laughs) about that situation. I completely support it. And I think it's been really interesting and like helpful to see public health experts say, you know, I, we know we've been, you know, not wanting people to congregate in large groups, but this is important. And this is a public health issue because COVID like it affects the black community more than other communities. There's already all these systemic issues causing health, like public health crises in that community. So, and, 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 you know, police brutality is a public health crisis. So I think I, I, I've been glad to see those support, that support, like coming out from health experts, but from like a micro level in my own kind of family, it doesn't work for, for me to go to those things. So instead I have been taking part in the donation piece early on, just kind of finding the places that were doing it. One of our favorite restaurants, maybe our favorite restaurant in the Twin Cities, shout out Pimento Jamaican Kitchen. They're like the down. down the street from us. Black owned business, really cool. They've been doing a lot of donation collecting and now they're doing, they have a um, a fund for rebuilding immigrant and black owned businesses that were like uh, face destruction. So uh, kind of working with that. And then I think on top of kind of the donating thing, there's the element of like the white person's role in reaching out to their family and friends who are yeah. not yet here. They're not, they're working on their journey <laughs> yeah. to mm-hmm. get to an, a place of understanding. So like talking to my family, talking to my friends, talking to my, talking to other white folks who are struggling with how to talk to their family and friends mm-hmm. and helping them through it especially so that a black person doesn't have to (laughs) help them with that. Right. But also because, you know, we have an experience that we can share about like, what does it mean to sort of bring your family along with you on a journey of understanding and that kind of thing. So that those are the kind of ways that I've been taking action when, since I can't really go to the protests and marches. And I think too, there's a, there's a mental health element too. Like for me, the, the crowd level is, as a challenge. And so like, I feel like I had some sort of like guilt and anxiety around that. But when I took a step back and like, there's lots of different ways to help. So as long as you're not silent and doing nothing, you're contributing. So that's, that's kind of been where I'm at. I am moved and inspired by how many white allies are involved in so many unique capacities and ways. And I and I wanted to speak to what you said, Hannah, because I, I have a lot of good friends who are, are learning and attempting to be more engaged and be involved in like systemic oppression, recognize where is this coming from and also holding space. So if that means that, you know, uh, people of color, Black people want to go out and be involved. That means uh, a lot of folks are are doing what they can. A lot of white allies are doing what they can to make sure that they're supported and 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 safe. And and I think that that's really powerful because that's that has not always been the case. Um, when I used to engage with Black Lives Matter, you know, at the, at the towards the inception, what what was that, y'all? Two thousand sixteen, so two thousand seventeen. At the time, uh, I lost a lot of white friends because. Mm they would say, well, you know, that person did make the officer feel uh, concerned or or that person did have, you know, four years ago, they did have 
you know, this charge, you know, and, and just always. And I think that they were learning. I just because I'm a person of color, just because I love politics, just because I love social justice does not mean I'm always at this like heightened gauge of understanding. I'm, I'm also in journeys. I'm also learning, especially about other identities. As not, I, I love to recognize, especially at Girl Scouts, we highlight this. There are various identities, neurodiversity identities, mental health identities, LGBTQ identities, so many that we have to recognize and hold space for. I'm not just trying to think about what is closest to me or what is is in my proximity. That's not fair because that's discounted. Other things taking place. But in this regard, we are particularly highlighting the experience of Black Americans in, in this country. And so, but I, I want to hold space and be cognizant of other folks. But I appreciate that, Hannah, because back in the day, I they I know that they may have been on a journey and it takes time. And I'm sure that those, a lot of folks I know have evolved since then and come to different understandings or further conclusions. But at the time I was, it was really hard to lose very close friends, people who I considered family, feeling as though I am, race baiting or I am making them uncomfortable or I am making everything about race. And if you would just protest this way or if you wouldn't talk about it so much, it wouldn't be so contentious. And and also then again, that gaslighting of black, indiv- uh, of black activists, of black people, that gaslighting of, okay, see, look, look, you're making about race. You're making us uncomfortable. Look what you're doing. There's always those caveats all the time. Yeah. And, that, and that's another rendition of white supremacy. That's another rendition of oppression, not permitting people to engage in this, especially through civics, through policy, through discussion with your other, like through dialogue with your other Americans and Mm -hmm. and, and other folks within this country. I want to just highlight other Americans, other folks within this country, us together, living together, working together, being a community together. And that wasn't always the case. I was really disheartened by the friends I lost that I adored and was very close with. Um, I was really disheartened facing fear of, you know, retaliation in various different elements and levels of my life at the time. And so I just I just want to highlight, Hannah, I really appreciate you saying that because and trying to extend and continue to expand the level of understanding and bringing folks in and, and hearing their reactions and, and hearing where they're learning. And also the thing is, I, I have um, friends in my life who are such thoughtful white allies it like you, Hannah. But unfortunately, I'm really sad to see that folks are feeling guilt because they're not showing up or doing certain actions. And there's not a rubric. Of course, being on the like being out there is important. But I get really scared and sad because people are like, well, I'm so sorry I wasn't able to protest. I, I had to finish this or I had to go help my mom. And it's like, yeah. no, like, but that is that's genuinely happening. Like I'm seeing and also like it's kind of concerning because I'm seeing some white friends of mine who are allies who are doing some virtue signaling and kind of mm-hmm. like it's kind of disingenuous and 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 it's yeah. they and I see them literally targeting targeting other white friends saying like oh have you done this and I have this resource and I'm very familiar in this area have you read this oh you have not well you can borrow mm-hmm. it from me and I'm like wait 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 because and then I'm seeing people <laughs> feel self-conscious but the, the thing is no one is the arbitrator or administrator of what you're supposed to be doing there are folks for different there's been various different personal reasons uh where I haven't um been out and in like the last couple of weeks, and I don't want anyone to then negate my blackness or, yeah. or say, well, <laughs> oh, you go to school for political science. Oh, mm-hmm. and you really care about social justice. Well, I didn't see you out there and I need to see a timestamp on your Instagram. That is not OK. <laughs> like I get no. the thing is, I do get the frustration that people are like, uh, uh-uh. some people are not doing enough. Like as white people, you need to make sure to, you know, to, to make a stand and to, to, to help you harness 
the energy and really validate. I get that. I think that there's a difference between being inactive and, and finding ways that are not that are not just on the ground because also protesting is really cool, but are you, you know, are you protesting, but then going back and having a certain face when you're in your own community or with your yeah, own friends? Like, that's not um, helpful. Yeah, because I think I was thinking about what that that whole thing. I, I agree. I've been seeing a little bit of like sort of guilting other people a little bit. Uh, that's not helpful. In, in activist communities, right? That's not helpful. Because like what I'm seeing from Black Lives Matter is protest burnout is real. Activist burnout is real. You need to protect yourself. And they're talking to everybody, not just Black people out there. Everybody who's trying to help that burnout, those things are real. And so you need to like keep a check on your mental health too. But I also think that like, for me, there's a, there's a, like a sad part and a positive part about being white in the sense that I can never reach, I don't think, full understanding of the impact that these killings have on the community that those people come from, right? I, I just can't, I can't get there partly because as a white person, I would never experience something like that. I just never would. <laughs> so like, it, it's hard to get all the way there, but but and that sucks for me because I want to understand and empathize with people I care about and with my community. But there's a superpower to me. There's a superpower element to that, too, which is that I can absorb and use some mental energy and emotional energy to help people along their journey in a non-judgmental, non-angry right. way. Right. Because right. I'm not, like to me, getting too angry as a white person, getting too angry towards other white people about this is selfish. Like, is that's my opinion. Is it better to be right or is it better to be effective? Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and I think like... self-serving. Yeah, it's selfish yes. and it feels, it feels a little bit like co-opting anger that's not yours, right? Yes. Shana, and when I anger see that, I get yours. very offended. I get very offended yeah. when I see my when I see my white friends being like, or or a certain white friends who are like uh, virtual signaling or or finding ways to establish like their wokeness because it's yeah. like oh you're taking advantage of this and 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 also you're guilt tripping the people who already get it. You're expending a <laughs> lot of energy on people who already get it and they donated or they've been out or they've done the thing talking to you guys it's not like it's easy to talk to other white family members or white friends i mean or, or i respect that like don't get me wrong I, i'm as a black person who has faced oppression and in, in the community face oppression by all means i'm not trying to give it out it is a moral obligation for all of us to harness your privilege to talk to others. But it can be challenging too. You can face pushback. You can face uh, distance from your own family and friends. So it's not like that step, if you combine it with protesting or if you combine it with um, donations, that's a big deal too because that's how we expand. Because sometimes hearing it from me, it might, even if it's subliminal, even if it's intentional, it might seem as an angry black woman. It might yeah. seem, it might be invalidated because I'm pulling the race card. So if you jump in and be like, all right, Shayna, hold on real quick. I got this. Anna, jump in. <laughs> uh, like, you know what I mean? All right. You know, that it's like, then I was like, okay, I hear you. Like uh, Patrick mm -hmm. Stewart did that. And I love Misa Patrick Stewart. Picard, mm. I love Picard. Oh my God, such a great show. <laughs> me too. But, but he did that. He said, listen, listen, let me talk about some racial issues because I know you ain't going to listen to them. I know you ain't going to listen to them. You're going to listen to me because I'm a respected, affluent, white, uh, cisgender appearing, but I know that my man is part of the LGBTQ community and I adore him for him. But um, Sir Patrick Stewart was really elevating his status as a white, affluent male to talk about racial issues because he knows that, that he can 
connect with other communities and, and with people who are like him, who sometimes don't always see it from other Black folks because they feel like they're angry or like they're pulling the race card. So that is an awesome way. So I'm saying like that is a good way to do it. But also people have to be careful that they're not accidentally asking people to overextend themselves or overexert themselves because then that's not, you know, you can't feel from an empty cup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got to take care mm-hmm. of yourself. I've been taking care of myself. I wouldn't want, you know, to impose upon others. But it is a it is a moral obligation to do what you can as a white person, as a white ally, to learn and be aware of systemic racism, to be aware of institutional bias that um, that you that is no fault of your own, but that you have been able to utilize and profit from. But it's 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 up to you to make sure that there is equity and that we're shifting the way that we do things so that it's more fair and everyone has access and the ability to obtain safety and well-being financially, economically, in terms of like how they navigate in their, their neighborhoods. But I just really appreciate you saying that, Hannah, because I know you care. I know all of us care, but I, just because you're not out doesn't mean that you're not, it, you're, you don't care, you know? I Well, so I think along those lines of being right or being effective, I think that's just such a good thing to keep saying. But for us white people, like talking to other white people, instead of being sort of on that like high horse telling you what to do kind of mindset, like I think it kind of goes back to the the conversation we had with Julia about how having tough conversations and like coming into it with empathy and like trying to understand sort of the place where the other person is at and coming coming to them from the place where they're at instead of coming from where you're at. So like if you've already been on a journey to like work on becoming an anti-racist, not even just not being racist, but that's like the important term right now, right? Like being anti-racist means that you're helping other white people break down these systems of oppression. So like if you have done your homework and you've been doing your reading and you're feeling like you've learned things and you know stuff like coming to those people, like especially with family members, I think that can be really hard, especially older family members or those who live in different places than you do and like figuring out where they're at and listening to them and then coming in at their level and helping them move up instead of coming from on top of them and like beating them down because that's not, they're just going to come back defensive. Right. And, and that doesn't, that doesn't make any gains that doesn't help us move forward. So like, like the listening and, and like trying to feel where they're coming from and then like, like take baby steps with them. I think that something that is hard if you've, if, especially if you started really learning this stuff as a kid, so maybe it's been, you got a head start essentially on a process that maybe some people maybe didn't get. I think this can be hard, but you have to recall and try to remember when you didn't know this stuff, because I think every white person has a journey that they went through. And there was a point where they weren't woke. Like Shana says, there was a point where you didn't know that stuff and you have to remember it. And and maybe it's painful to think about the way you used to act or what you used to say or, mm-hmm. Uh, what you used to believe, even if you didn't say it out loud, maybe that's painful. But if you can access that part of yourself, you can be more empathetic to people who are still there, I think, and help bring them along. And I think there are a lot of people, honestly, right now. I mean, I don't know, Shane, if you saw that New York Times chart about like the support for Black Lives Matter has increased more in the last two weeks than it did in the last three years or something crazy like that. 
I think that there's a lot of people ready to hear the message, but they might need to hear it from someone who looks like them or has an experience like them. So if you can reach out and say, I get what you mean. Two years ago, I thought the same thing. Or two years ago, I I wasn't sure, but this is what helps me understand. You can take a lot of people who are kind of on the edge. They're, they're, they're almost tipped over to, <laughs> to the side that we need them to be on and help them get there. No, exactly, Hannah. And as actually, and also don't mistakenly get on a high horse or be so excited about your knowledge that you accidentally become ineffective by yeah. pushing people away by a grandstanding and, mm-hmm. you know, really, like you mentioned, co-opting, like, oh my goodness, I am so virtuous. I am a woke white ally. To a point where you start to become, you start to become aggressive with folks. And then again, you can push them further away or it's not effective or you make them feel self-conscious. It's a journey. They can't get there by you browbeating them. You know, that's not going to help. That's just making you feel good. And, and get points. Yeah. Trying to get, get activist points. points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, so Shana, at the beginning, you had talked about sort of like being off social media and, and I, I've also been having kind of problems with social media. And so I know this special episode we're doing is is really kind of just about the three of us but we also have to think about our girl listeners so i want to talk a little bit about like how does social media play into that feeling of guilt for those of us who are in white bodies and like talking about sort of like because girls are on social media they're in a generation that's on it constantly and uh, you know i just want to like talk about like, how do you feel those feelings and how do you keep yourself from feeling really guilty so that you can get to a place where you can make a difference, you know, because that's where all this stuff is on social media. I think that you should treat anyone who's, well, there's a couple layers to this. If a white person is guilting you about getting your activism to a certain point, I treat that with skepticism right off the bat. <laughs> right off the jump. Right off yeah. the jump. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that they're... They were a, not appointed or elected. Yeah. It's not a rubric that they're following. Yeah. The, the rubric is very arbitrary and developed by themselves. Right. <laughs> yeah, right? So for me, I'm taking cues from organizations, from leadership, in this case, who are Black, who are saying, this is what we need, right? So I'm seeing Black Lives Matter say, this is what we need from you, X, Y, Z. And that includes, yeah. we need you to take breaks. We need you to prevent burnout so that we can keep this movement going. So like for me, in terms of what to do, I'm listening to, I'm taking cues from like black leadership on this. Yes, right. And then, and then, and I think that's a safe, like that's a good place to, to, to go. And, and, and sometimes that might feel a little uncomfortable if you're still kind of getting into the like swing of this because there is more anger there, rightfully so. Sometimes, you know what I mean? And that's so that's only relative feel, to like people of color too. Yeah, right. And so like the, but, but I'm not skeptical of that anger, right? Cause that's coming right. from a real, like a community place of, of that. Some, it's not for points, it's for progress, <laughs> if that makes sense. And so, so yeah, taking the cues from, from black leadership. So following, you know, Black Lives Matter, following Black Visions Collective, following some of these other, you know, communities against police brutality. Humanize my, uh, humanize my hoodie. Yeah. All those mm-hmm. kinds of organizations, all the justice for this person, justice for this person, justice for Jamar Clark, justice for George Floyd, those kinds of organizations. Orlando that's Castile. like, 
yeah, who I'm looking towards mm-hmm. for, for, for what I should do. And then, I, I mean, I think for me, if I see a white person doing that kind of thing that Shane is saying, like co-opting that and, and using that from a guilt place, then to me, that's a signal of like a conversation for me to have with them of like, you're not the leader of this. Yeah. <laughs> and what you're doing is, is kind of co-opting that. So if you feel comfortable having that conversation, then that can be an element. And honestly, I actually kind of think being in the part where that is a, is a development portion as well. Yes, um, absolutely, that, 100%. <laughs> being in that part, I think I was there in college. I think I co-opted anger Oh, I've been there in, in so college. many different ways. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. I, because I started learning all this stuff and I was like, everybody needs to know this. Like, everybody's just stupid. They're not like, you need to get yeah. on top of it. Like, I learned it. They should learn it. Like, all this stuff, right? And so, like, I think that is a development phase, too, that, yes. that you go through. So not to, like, you know, attack people, but to 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 call them in and be like, hey, I used to do this too. Yeah. <laughs> As a white I, person, like, I used to do this and and maybe let's take a step back. Hannah, I'm so happy you said that because actually I don't want to accidentally transition into being ineffective. Like I, I feel fr- frustration about it because I get really sad for the, I have literal white friends who have commented, oh my goodness, I just went home to sleep, but I'm getting right back out and I get paid tomorrow and I'm about to, and it's like, I don't like saying that where it's getting really intense yeah. where they're like, like they're they're low on their bills. Like literally, I, I've, I've literally seen people like, oh, I'm really exhausted or, or, you know, like I have BO building and that's not bad. You know, we're all humans. So that's all good. But I don't mean that negative, but like literally, I'm not where they're literally like feeling super self-conscious and they care. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that they're out there trying to be validated by this person who is putting these expectations on. I think that they genuinely care. They're like, oh my gosh, we got to make some things happen. This is very serious. Oh my goodness. But there, I don't like seeing that. So I got angry because I'm really concerned about people's well-being. And also I want it to be genuine and I don't want people to have these unnecessary expectations that I, that me as an individual is not requesting. I don't think that, you know, black folks are requesting. We want you to be on it now. We have obligation we have respect and we have expectations, but Mm -hmm. we're not saying that, you know, if you get paid on Friday, you need to give 95% and, you know, you can't get your medications for the month. No one said that. No one said, Nikita no. Levy Pounds did not say that. I didn't say that. No one didn't say that. Jason Soul did not say that. You know, so I, that's, that's if you're what's not concerning healthy, me. Like, if yeah. you're not healthy, that's what I'm you saying. Can't you cannot make feel a from empty cup. Yes. Y'all, I can't. Like, I've been lately getting a lot more sleep because I realized, like, man, I, I can't. Like I've been doing because I, the next day I feel ineffective. I feel inefficient. So I like yeah. that's an example of it. So that I didn't mean to come off as angry. And I no, do understand, like, you didn't that's like a, but also that's a development place because I've been there too. Phyllis has checked me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought that I was right by putting other people down and letting them know how unintelligent they were compared to me. In different areas, LGBTQ issues, when it comes to certain political issues, you guys, mm-hmm. I did not realize that I was hurting my own cause. Yeah. Yeah. So by all means, I'm not trying to, I don't want to push you all out. I just want to bring a, awareness and we all want to bring awareness so that you can shift and just er, stop. <laughs> shift because I've been there. Like you said, Hannah, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very happy to to be in a in, on a journey to see different. It's also much more sustainable, <laughs> I think, yes. to, mm-hmm. to take a step back, take take the cues from the leadership you need to and, and not not add the guilt element to other people. Yeah. And I think so with all of that, like with seeing social media and like digesting that 
sort of in the right way. Like what, where are we, let's talk about where we're getting our news and how we know if it's trustworthy. Cause I have, I have a really hard time getting news from social media. I think a lot of people do and, and I don't usually. So like for me personally, I ended up on Twitter a whole bunch during all of this stuff. Cause I just wanted to know what was going on, but it ended up being really scary. And it, it like, you know, there's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of word of mouth. It's hard. You know, at one point, everybody was tweeting that Allianz Field, our huge new soccer field, was on fire. And I don't think it ever was. Uh, <laughs> but I live really close to Allianz Field. And also, it was like a big contentious project. It cost a ton of money. And all of a sudden, it like that made me feel like the world was burning down because I'm like, okay, Target's on fire. The pawn shop's on fire. It's moving to St. Paul. There's like, I live in St. Paul. I live two miles exactly straight south of Allianz Field. Like I'm looking at Twitter. They're saying like the, the marchers of, of like people starting stuff on fire are like marching down the street. That's a block from me. And I don't think that was ever true. Honestly, kind of what you were saying, Idel, is distracting from the uh, the issue to an extent <laughs> um, yeah. because you end up being so kind of like afraid about about things. So it's harder to focus on like the the stuff that I, I think on social media. There's certain accounts that I would trust to post information that's mm-hmm. up to the minute on mm-hmm. things. I think I look to like NPR with the with the caveat of knowing that like there are some people on the ground that might have a little bit more from what they have. So kind of like trusted people in social media that I can pull from. And then like one or two new sources I know, you know, NPR is publicly funded. That makes me feel a little bit better about their interests and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. um, that's where I've sort of focused. But I also think that just for me, I, I just need to set a limit on the news in order to be effective. I think I just get too far down a news hole. (laughs) Yeah, it was, I found it interesting just being like living locally here in the Twin Cities, which was like the epicenter of everything that was going on, that all of the national news outlets were 100% covering us. So it just felt like, you know, Minnesota doesn't often just cover, like MSNBC doesn't just, 24 seven cover Minnesota. So like that, it felt sort of powerful to me. And like, you know, I know MSNBC can be biased sort of on the left side, similar to how Fox news can be sort of biased on the right side. So you kind of have to like pick and choose your shows that you watch, but just seeing like reporters on the ground for MSNBC, they had a really excellent reporter that, that we were just sort of like obsessed with watching who was in the protest, like getting tear gassed. And yeah. like that was because I also couldn't go to any protests because my wife is high risk for COVID and we were just nervous about that. And so we chose some other ways to take action. But like watching the protests live on national news was just it just felt kind of powerful. Yeah, but yeah, NPR and and also the Daily podcast from the New York Times was also covering like they had an interview with Jacob Fry. They talked about like how Black Lives Matter started. Like I found that very helpful, and just to have these like really genuine like in depth pieces 
on what's going on because I get overwhelmed by like all of it. So like yeah. if you get like a really in-depth piece of one thing, I found that really helpful. So yeah, those were kind of the places I turned to. How about you, Shana? I really like, I, yeah, I, I, or I hear what you guys meant about like the leanings that happen, like the ideology leanings. Yeah, I think we have to have discernment, ensure it's credible sources. I notice a lot lately in the comments, people are saying like, hey, where did you find that? Can you submit an article? And I think that that's lovely because similar to what you said, Idell, I heard that a gas station close to my home was on fire and I looked it up and it was not. And I live <laughs> over in Brooklyn Park you know, community pages you can go to like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, West Side Citizens or, you know, oh, Frogtown, you know, residents on Facebook. And, and it's really cool how everyone's really communicative and collaborative and like, hey, and, and that's, that could be a really great place for information as well. And or, or also to encourage positive vetted um, research, uh, research methods there too. So like if you're on there, mm -hmm. if someone says something, you're like, hey, where'd you find that out? And it's like, well, I heard from so-and-so and it's like, oh, well, um, I think that um, Snapchat had like a, a map of like happenings. I had a friend that would reference that often, which is really cool. I was like, what? Like Snapchat? At first mm -hmm. I was going to tell them like, hey, where'd you find that? But, <laughs> but that one seemed pretty credible and valid. I also really like The Hill. They have a show called The Rising or Rising. I love that show. Love that. Sagar and Crystal are my favorite and they're my friends. They don't know they're my friends. <laughs> I just want to make that clear. They don't, they don't know, but they are my friends. They'll they, know. They'll, they'll know, know eventually. They'll know. I adore those two. Hannah, I love that you watch it too. That makes my day. I tell everybody who will listen about it. They do a lot of research and they're very smart, but also it's, it's two folks who are, one is conservative, one is liberal, and they present points in a way that's very objective and that's very relevant. And I respect their integrity. So yeah, mm -hmm. I watch a lot of Rising. Unicorn Riot is an awesome on-the-ground mm -hmm. independent Minneapolis journalist mm -hmm. that is really uh, a great source for information. And really, they reference a lot of what's going on from the perspective of people. And that's great because yeah. you don't want to just get like uh, the perspective of folks who are reporting, but also like what's going on? What are the people saying? So those yeah. are some places I have been checking out and looking into. Yeah, cool. I want to make sure we talk about what we're hopeful about. So like there's a lot to feel really bad about right now and like like feel. I mean, I think we feel empowered and like this is moving a lot of things forward. There's like there's got to be something good that can come from this terrible tragedy. And like I also want to recognize just talking speaking of tragedies that like this is all this all just keeps going and Richard Brooks was also killed by police in Atlanta this week and so we're all just sort of like still reeling from everything that happened with George Floyd and and then it just keeps going so like in the wake of all that and how it kind of just beats us in the head constantly like what are we hopeful about and what keeps us going like on a really like personal real level? Something that makes me feel hopeful is how much in popularity, it's like popularity is kind of a weird word, but like how much people believe in it now. And I think that speaks to the work that Black Lives Matter has been doing these years. And then, and then they were, it was ready. They were these activists, these organizations, they were ready to capitalize on this and really pull people to the next level on this issue. So that makes me feel hopeful because I see like a lot of 
I don't know. It feels a little bit different this time. I don't know how it feels to you, Shannon, but it feels a little bit different yeah. in that like there's more, honestly, more white people <laughs> yeah. um, who are That's who are important. supporting that. And I'm not trying to give props to any companies, really. That's not what I'm here for. But I think it's a sign of the times that makes me feel hopeful that companies feel like they have to make a statement about Black Lives Matter right now. Like, I'm not saying they're all genuine. I'm not saying that they all actually follow through on policies that are good for Black people. But the fact that companies feel pressured and like this, I have to do. Because here's the thing. Companies don't take risks. They don't. They're protecting the bottom line. So when a company feels like they have to make a statement about something like this, it shows how the public's opinion has changed. And so that that feels hopeful. And if we can just kind of keep this energy going around it and not get burned out, <laughs> then then I see some some potential policy changes like in Minneapolis with the Minneapolis City Council and some other places like that. And where people are feeling like they're forced to respond to this. They have to, like, it, it, yeah. we're out of time. We have to respond yeah. now. That that yeah, makes me we're feel out of time. hopeful. We're yeah. way out of time, way yeah. past out of time. Yeah, right? way yeah. past out of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that, that makes me feel a little bit hopeful. Something that makes me feel hopeful, hopeful is I really enjoy how, like, um, folks are referencing the historical relationship um, America has had to Black people. And, and, and how they're viewing and, and understanding our current situation. I really appreciate it. Like what took place with um, with George Floyd is devastating. And I'm really inspired that in this conversation, uh, we're talking about other elements like mass incarceration. We're talking about, you know, systemic oppression. We're in, And we're really kind of honing in on, on what historically has taken place within the country that has been a part of placing Black people in a position um, to not reap all the benefits of America and also to mm-hmm. be like, well, negative sentiments that mm-hmm. take place and how it penetrates economics. And also, I think that sometimes racism, it's ugly and it's and it's, it's terrible. And I also think it's not purely just because of how someone feels or their their impressions, but also because it's advantageous and it's economic. And, and you can pick who's winners and losers. For example, when we talk about defund the police, we're not just saying, let's talk about police form. Let's talk about no choke holes. Warrior training is extremely extremely problematic. But we're also understanding when we say defund the police, it also means to allocate resources to things like mental health, social workers, housing, things, economic tinderboxes that really perpetuate and, and that precipitate these issues of like of, of disenfranchisement. It's not just about like, oh yeah, guys, racism only takes place in the form of police violence. And plus, like the police are trying to provide a service. I understand that they've been mm-hmm. the mental health counselors. They've been the, you know, the the folks who are supporting people in drug addiction. Like, but we need to for to to rely on the 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 services that we have that's actually meant for that that are violently underfunded and not as supported as they should be. Like they're they're assets. They're they're community aids. And so, like, I I'm really happy because defund the police talking about how. And for example, population growth in some areas, 50%, but police budgets have gone up 100%. You know, it just uh, recognizing that that type of money and time and effort and resources is supposed to be devoted to meaningful community initiatives. Oh, community initiatives and people who are taking care of young people, employment, housing. Those are the things that make it so that, you know, there's conditions where 
there's areas and in, in, in people that are struggling, you know, and, and then you over police those areas by not taking care of underlining issues and, and, and vilifying those people instead of recognizing the responsibility that we have to everyone's yeah. well-being and not yeah. perpetuating like racist or, or discriminatory ideas that then permit you to put those people in lack strategically and institutionally. Yeah, that's similar to what I feel hopeful about is that it seems like the conversation not only became like crazy urgent, even though it's always been necessary, but now it's, it's upfront, it's personal, it's urgent, but like we're, people are talking about it in a more holistic way than I've heard people talk about it before. And that's partly because now like black people are, are taking the opportunity to be, to have a platform and talk about this stuff. And we just like, we haven't heard it before in the same way. And I feel so appreciative and like, so hopeful that these conversations and like the rhetoric and the words people are using and the urgency of it all is going to make a difference. Like, like it never has before. And I, I feel excited and terrified um, about all of that because I, because I hope something actually happens. And I, I mean, I feel hopeful for, white people like like i feel like the words like the term anti-racist hasn't been said like i've heard it but really not that long ago for the first time and like at girl scouts we've been doing a lot of diversity equity and inclusion work and like we've hired professionals to come in and and help us talk through and like move forward with our own like notions of racism and and implicit bias but this whole term of anti-racist seems like it's kind of lived in those spaces where like those of us who have the privilege to, to be taught those concepts have heard it, but now it's like all over the place and like white fragility and like all of those terms that were, were sort of like held to like academics and people who, who had the availability of that kind of education, but now it's like everywhere. It's all over. It's on the news. It's on people's social media and like people, friends of mine who I wouldn't have expected to embrace something like that are like in it. They're reading and they're talking and they're having conversations with their families. And like that feels very surprising to me and it helps empower me to do the same thing. To kind of wrap us up, we've said a lot of, terms and a lot of stuff and big words and and I know like a lot of girls who listen to our show are super smart and they have heard all this stuff but like I encourage you to if you heard something today from us that you haven't heard before or it kind of went over your head like to just do some googling and do some research and that's all part of this is like learning what all of this means so like do some research on white supremacy culture and like how the police started and how it was tied to slavery from the beginning and like things, things that we, especially those of us who grew up in white communities in rural or semi-rural areas and went to school in those communities, like didn't learn. I don't know that anybody really learned it in school. And, and like, there's a lot of resources out there right now that will blow your mind and just sort of blow the top off of everything. I've been listening to the 1619 podcast from the New York Times and 
And it's all black voices talking about slavery in a way that's like super digestible, but like very mind blowing. So like white, white supremacy culture, institutional or systemic racism, defunding the police, like look up what all that stuff means and and figure out figure out how you feel about it. Right. And know that we've all been there. We've all looked things up. We've all did trial and error. Like explore, talk to others, take time and jump in. Yeah. Like literally just jump in. And the so Girl Scouts River Valleys has a very cool web page up right now that we add to all the time for how you can take action, including just a bunch of resources to read, especially for white people and anti-racist resources and things that you can do on your own without having to ask anybody or make anybody speak for anybody but themselves. So like doing that sort of personal work at any age level or like doing it if you're a parent doing it with your girl or your kids. But so the Girl Scouts River Valley's website has a taking action page and we'll put that in the show notes, a link to it. And it's just like a huge, really great list and you can dive right into it. I mean, there's resources everywhere, but but we kind of packaged it up for you and it's and it's actually super helpful in helping girls and parents get involved and make change happen and make their voices heard and just just learn. So thanks you guys for being here to talk about this today. It's yeah. I really appreciate it. Very important. I'm very happy that we took time this meaningful time. Yeah. And since this is kind of a special episode, um we're not going to do our usual would you rather um, or girls pick this time, even though we love doing a would you rather with Shayna, but we'll have around to talk about something else another time. Oh, most certainly. And I miss you guys. And I hope you all continue to enjoy yourself and keep listening because there's so much awesome content to come. And Adele and Hannah holding it down. Now pop in from time to time. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll talk to you guys later. Girl Talk is brought to you by Girl Scouts River Valleys. Our host is Hannah Gilbert. The show is produced by Adele Erickson and edited by Sarah Mikatel. For more about the podcast and our team, go to girltalk.girlscoutsrv.org. See you next time.